electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Tech investor and three-time founder Brad Gerstner, he's got the ear of tech giants and politicos, and to him, it's all personal. We have 15 countries that we send over $4 billion a year to annually in foreign aid. How can we give $4 billion a year in foreign aid to all these countries and we can't give that same opportunity to every kid in America? And AI fooling you with ads, Kava's cooking up a profit, and voters cast their ballots a year out from the presidential election. So we're back to Trump-Biden. Because out of 340 million people, those are the two. Plus, a conversation with Instagram engineer turned whistleblower, Arturo Behar has taken to Capitol Hill and now are set to shine a light on teenagers being harassed on social media. One in eight in the last seven days experienced an unwanted sexual advance. 11%. His proposed solution and how Meta responded. I don't think we can trust Instagram or those services with our teens if they're not willing to give them the tools that help them when they need it. It's Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Kentucky! Election results coming in overnight. Kentucky's Democratic uh, governor, uh, Andy Bashir won re-election after vastly outspending his Republican challenger, uh, Daniel Cameron, who was backed by former President Trump. Mississippi's Republican governor, uh, Tate Reeves, won re-election, brushing aside a challenge from Democrat Brandon Presley. Reeves won a late endorsement from Donald Trump. Now, in Virginia, a lot of folks were looking at that state. Democrats won back control of the state legislature, keeping their majority in the state Senate and flipping the House. And for those thinking that Governor Youngkin might enter the race, that might make this a little bit more difficult. And then in Ohio, uh, voters passing a ballot initiative that enshrined abortion rights in the state constitution. So a uh, smattering of, uh, of results. I don't know what the, the ultimate takeaway. I mean, on the, young, you can, the Youngkin is a takeaway for those in New York. And I think it was a small group of people who were hoping that he was, you know, going to enter the race. Pretty good smattering. Uh, but doesn't sound like More that's going to be happening. I, had people I see a trend. Question. Yeah. I had people raising questions about whether he could even run in 2028, because if you don't have the legislature and the Senate, you're not going to be able to put, through forward, stuff you put, yeah, put forth your I'm agenda. I'm from Ohio. That's, uh, Ohio's still red, sort of. Uh, I guess it's a reddish purple. So this is this, this was in, not in, necessarily just a red-blue issue. No, but this was in counties even that Donald yeah. Trump won handily. Uh, right. But... You know, the, some Republican, Nikki Haley, among others, have said, you guys better get your act together, or guys and gals better get your act together on this, because the country, I mean, 2020 and 2022 okay. all had something to do. I mean, what was the, the point? How much did that advantage Democrats in 2020 and 2022? Quite a bit. 
that issue. Yeah. Talking about the abortion abortion issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you want to say it out loud? Say, no, I already did. Oh, I, mean, I didn't yeah, think yeah, it, that's, it, it, Well, you kind of, well, you know, I, when I'm talking, you kind of glaze over. That's okay, though. But, um, yeah, uh, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, but that issue. I'll tell you what, we, and we talked, Youngkin's out, and I think this emboldens, I think David Axelrod is going to have to take a back seat because I think this emboldens Democrats to say right. that, that Biden's still going to be reelected in this environment, regardless of whether people are, you know, whether Democrats are absolutely in love with him or not. He's, he's been, so I think both of those things, I don't know if that's great for Democrats or, or for everybody because it, it probably there's means no Youngkin, it's Trump, and if Biden's in, yeah. it's Biden. So we're right. back to Trump-Biden. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the election results Because out of 340 million people, those are the two. We're on that path, is <laughs> what it definitely looks like at this point. New this morning, Meta is introducing a new policy to help users of its platforms discern when AI or digital methods have been used in political or social issue ads. Starting next year, advertisers will have to disclose when an ad uses a photorealistic image, video, or audio that was digitally created or altered in certain cases. That includes depictions of a real person saying or doing something that they didn't do, depictions of people that don't exist, or depictions of events that have been altered. Failure to disclose such digital alterations will result in rejection of the ad. Repeated violations will result in penalties against the advertiser, but this seems like an obvious uh, step, a no-brainer, to say that you can't digitally alter and have people doing or saying things they didn't do. But all the things you just said you're not allowed to do are, are giving me an idea of, of what what will this, come what this actually means and yeah. it's 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 bad disturbing. news yeah. it's going to come on all these news. platforms too yeah. so sort of like look, I, I will give a, a shout out to Meta the, for saying that they're going to step that right. they're going to say that this can't happen but every one of them should well be we saw it with the high school thing already with the Photoshop naked yeah. people or something and it, that's already so that that's like that, that's the tip of the iceberg of what we're looking at and it changes the old axiom. You know, believe nothing that you read and only some of what you see. see. Like, don't believe anything you see either, basically. See or read. Yeah. We're watching shares of a Mediterranean restaurant chain, Cava, as well. The company reported an unexpected profit, earning six cents per share versus estimates of one cent a loss. That was what the anticipation had been, a revenue jumping nearly 50% from a year ago. That's thanks to higher traffic. Addition of about 95 new stores, same-store sales rising by about 14%. The stock, by the way, we should say, though, marginally off. Cava raising its profit forecast for the full year and uh, plans to open more restaurants than it had expected at the time of that IPO back in June. I haven't been to this restaurant. I want to. I haven't either. I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm eagerly to a Cava? waiting. Yeah. I have not been to a Cava. Have you? You have. Was it good? It was in the train station. Okay. Down in D.C. On my and? way back yeah, yeah. just a couple weeks ago. And? And I liked it a lot. See, I, I'm eager to try this. It, it looks like exactly what I would want. Spicy chicken in a wrap of some kind with a bunch of other stuff thrown in there. And it was it was good. It's like Mediterranean food, Chipotle. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. that's exactly what it that's was. What I, I wasn't want. sure what the hell it was, but there are about five different places. There's a fat burger. Thought about that. I go, nah, I'm already fat. <laughs> Thought about you know a couple other places, Chipotle, a couple other places, and I settled on been, the line was the shortest at Cava, so I said I'm going in there. I've been waiting for check one. Check this, this is out. What I want to check. Yeah. And I was, uh, I liked it. It's good. That's a, that's an endorsement. That's important for the company. I think getting my endorsement. Uh, Look at Taco Bell. Give, I was going to say Look you at Taco give, Bell success. You give your endorsement Look at to a Taco lot Bell of... success. There's one you know in every strip mall. Cheese will be next. 
Up next on Squawk Pod, Altimeter Capital's Brad Gerstner, the tech investors take on America's investing and getting our priorities straight before it's too late. Ray Dalio is spot on. The rise and fall of nations occur when you have a wealth gap that grows, when you have people who lose faith in the system. Pew and Gallup are telling us people are losing faith in the system, but we're not agentless. We can do something about this. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe. His mic. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live uh, in the NASDAQ uh, market site, looking out at a lot of construction outside. Did I, I just noticed it. That's been there for a while. Yeah. Uh, I'm Joe Kern outside the NASDAQ. I'm Joe Kern along with Becky Quick uh, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I want to talk more about the markets and bring in our next guest. He's here to discuss the venture capital environment, AI, the IPO market, and so much more, including... Uh, your ideas about investing in America, which I want to talk about. Brad Gerstner is here. He's the founder and CEO of Altimeter Capital, a private tech investment firm. He's made investments in Snowflake, ByteDance, Okta, Epic Games, Orbitz, and so many others. So where are we, sir? What good you, to be here. It's nice to see you. But what do you think is really happening with this market? Where do you think interest rates are going? What's the risk on, risk, risk off well, situation? Well, you know, we've been through a pretty epic journey over the last three years. Um, I think I said about 18 months ago that the new normal is going to look a lot more like the old normal, faster than we think. But we have to get through this process of adjustment. What is the old normal? So if you think about the period of time for 2010 through 2020, we were roughly at 2.8 on the 10-year. I think we're going back to a period of 3 to 4 on the 10-year, a highly investable period. What people can't deal with is the volatility. right? Just think about this. In the last six or seven weeks since July, we have a 25% move in the 10-year, right? And so the NASDAQ is down 12% during this period of time. And then, of course, we've had this, this run over the, over, over the course of the last eight days. That's the process of normalization. As people try to get their arms around, where is the 10-year going to settle out? I look at inflation, the PCE over the course of the last four months, is annualizing at something like two and a half, two point six percent. We think by summer of next year you'll have a two handle on inflation. You know, nobody wants to acknowledge that there's an envelope here for a soft landing, and and we have our issues. We have our issues. Um, we certainly are slowing down the economy, but I think the mispositioning this year, if you will, is that everybody was prepped for a hard landing. Mike right. Wilson had scared everybody at the start of the year, so everybody was in crash position. And the reality is the market has performed quite well this year, 
despite a regional banking crisis, despite conflicts in Ukraine and Israel, despite all of these other challenges. So you're bullish. I would say that we've been constructive and optimist all year. Our net exposures, we started the year very bullish relative to where prices were in the market. We were priced for a hard landing. So we were 93% right. net long, Andrew. But you think you're through, the, you're through the worst of it? Well, the, the question on the table now is does the Fed overbake the cake, right? May of 2000, let me take you back. Well, uh, what uh, was the tenure in May of 2000? That's what I see. For me, uh, three to four is still is a, a no-brainer. But it's still a new normal. We used to be five or six. Oh, yes. Well, Why I'm don't we go back I, to I'm, I'm saying that because we don't need to. I mean, the fact of the matter is that so long as we have full employment and so long as we have stable inflation, at or near the target, we're going to be in this lower range. But the fact of the matter is, Joe, as you remember, we, we, did, we did great be, between 2001 and 2007 with a much higher rate environment. Right. But what we in need the is 90s. we need predictability. Yeah. And what we haven't had the last three years is predictability. And, you know, listen, we beat a, a, a pandemic. In March of 2000, when I came, or right. 2020, when I came on, we didn't know if this was Ebola, yeah. right? And so the Fed went all in, Congress went all in. That was the right thing to do. But by the summer of 21, when the Fed was saying they don't see inflation, that was clearly a mistake. The cost of a cargo container from China had gone up 10x. So we waited six months too long. And the consequence of that is we had to go a lot higher. But if you look at the Fed's own forecasts for next year, one and a half percent GDP, two to three rate cuts, ending the year with a two, uh, two handle on inflation. To me, the, the thing that people have been most mispositioned for is that the world may in fact go back to, uh, you know, to this normal. For us, our, our net exposure today is 60%. Like I said, we started the year at 93. So yeah, we've taken some risk off the table as prices have gone up, right. but we're still leaning forward and still bullish on America. What do you like? We spend a lot of time talking about AI right now. Is that where the opportunity lies? Where is it? So, it, you know, when we entered the year, one of the things we said is not all tech is created equal. Remember, tech went through a recession in 2022, right, a year ago. Everybody crowded into the same trades, hmm. the safety trades of bonds, the safety trades of cyclicals, et cetera. We've seen a reversion to the mean. Think about this. The SPY, the S&P is up 15% this year. Right. If you take tech out, it's down 2%. Right. Okay. Um, the Russell 2000 is down this year. I think that's a healthy correction from where we were last year, where X tech was overvalued as a safety trade. Tech, the best parts of tech have moved up. If you're a COVID pretender, you haven't gone up this year. I see some names floating across the screen this morning. What's, who's a COVID pretender in your mind? Well, I see a name this morning like Upstart, as an okay. example. Um, nothing against the company, provide right. car loans uh, you know, and car financing to folks, but they pulled forward massive demand during COVID, and now the give back comes. But if you look at a company like Uber, who you right. did a great interview with Dara yesterday, or a company like Meta, they've seen expanding margins this year and reacceleration on the top line. Well, I wrote a, a letter last year about time to get fit, Right. You know, Andrew, Mark Zuckerberg in March wrote the year of efficiency. The re, you know, and Dara told you yesterday, quarter over quarter, we've actually reduced headcount again. Right. We have this massive bottom line opportunity in all these businesses because of AI. Margins are expanding. I'm just looking. Robinhood is running across the screen a lot, yes. too. Is that a pretender company because there were so many people who were home betting on the markets who aren't now? Pretender may be a little harsh. 
That's your um, word. I'm yeah, just asking. Right. You know, what, what I mean by that is we pulled forward all this demand that was not sustainable in a world. I mean, I look out the window here. People are back to work. Right. They have to take Ubers to get back to work. They're not sitting in their homes doing the things they were doing during right. COVID. Um, and one of those things was day trading meme stocks, right. right? And so that was just the give back, but it's incumbent upon those companies to adjust. It's hard to adjust. Nobody on this set wanted a pandemic in March of 2000 or 2020, but that's the hand we were dealt. You have a program or uh, an initiative, I should, I should say, called Invest America. Tell, tell everybody about it. You talked a little bit about it actually at, at Delivering Alpha already. Yes. So. I mean, you just had Representative Canner on this yep. morning, and one of the things he said that caught my attention was we've never been more divided, 99% versus the 1%, right? A real threat to democracy. I think we have a historic moment right now to get everybody into the game of capitalism. So the idea is very simple, Andrew. This is a bipartisan piece of legislation we hope to have introduced in the spring that would cause the Treasury to create a $1,000 seed investment account for every child born in America. There are 3.7 million kids born every year in America. If we just put $1,000 in the S&P 500, it's only 3.7 billion, less than one right. one hundredth of 1% of the national budget, less than the cost of a single weapon system, right? The, the, the incremental budget we're looking for in Ukraine would pay for this for 50 million kids and 15 years, right? You take it out of the IRS stuff. And this gets, <laughs> every single kid into the game. Right. And if you look at the power of compounding, right? We talk about financial literacy. We talk about less than 50% of people under the age of 40 believe in capitalism. Look, I, I will tell you, bad. Japan's doing something similar, not, not outright paying for every kid that comes through, but offering massive tax incentives for every individual to be able to do stuff like this alone. What we don't want um, is another big government entitlement program. What we wanna do is empower individuals. The federal government can seed it, get it going. They open up their Invest America account on their phone. They see they have, at 10 years old, you'll have $12,000 in that account. You see that you own a little bit of Tesla, of, of Microsoft, of United Healthcare. Right. And now we have a dialogue with them because they're in the game, they have skin in the game. We, we tackle this problem of hopelessness right. that we have in this country so how by your, giving people. How does your program, I, I'm gonna ask, yes. I'm very interested in the program because many years ago, I remember having a long conversation actually with Bill Ackman who we had on this program, and he had uh, sort of developed an idea around a program called a birthright. Right. It was about $6,700 yes. per person, with the idea being that actually every person by the time I think you're 62, retirement, you'd be a millionaire. Correct. Because it was about $6,200 mm -hmm. compounded yep. over time. Um, this is obviously less money, but he also had these ideas around how you do it so that you couldn't actually ever sell out till, till 62. Um, you had to own it in, in various mutual funds, could not own individual stocks. There was sort of a whole, so how, does, how would this work? So there have been, I would say over the course of the last 40 years, a lot of good initiatives, a lot of good thinking on this. Um, they've all failed for certain reasons. Baby bonds, Senator Cory Booker, you know, has an idea to, to, to give certain kids bonds. The problem with the bond is it doesn't appreciate, you don't learn about capitalism, you don't actually own your slice right. of these companies, it doesn't benefit from compounding. The, the, the challenge with Bill's idea, and by the way, I like a lot of it, the challenge with, we can't afford it, mm -hmm. right? We have, we have a, a $34 trillion debt in this country, we have a $2 trillion national deficit. 
So the difference is, I just want the federal government to cede it and right. get out of the way. So, Use the power. Think of this, a 401k from birth. So I was with Dara. Right. I said, Dara, if we set this up, will you match it for all the kids of your drivers and employees, right? So you add $750, you know, that year the child is born. And he said, absolutely. I've talked with CEOs across the board on this. So we're putting together a CEO council. Um, I talked with Sachi about it earlier in the week. Michael Dell about it. I've told 20 years ago, Brad, that the the great Harold Ford, who uh, was a congressman, he's now star of stage and screen, along with Evan Bayh. Yes. And you're from Indiana. Great senator from the state of Indiana. Indiana. They they wanted to introduce something 20 years ago, Harold tells me, called baby build accounts. Do you remember that? Is this? Uh, Vaguely. Vaguely, but I'm a big fan of them. Why didn't it work? Big fan of them both. I don't know. I think think one of the. You started working for Richard Luger. I did. You know, so, and I, I, I I don't know why I look at When I look at the past failures, Mm -hmm. the biggest failure is that they were looking for some tie-in to Social Security, some offset to Social Security. I think we should fully fund Social Security. It's a totally separate program. This is completely different. If this it is- gets people back to realizing that socialism has been tried, because I think it's 60% of college kids aren't sure. This is a problem. Is- Ray Dalio t- is, 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 is spot on. The rise and fall of nations occur when you have a wealth gap that grows, when you have people who lose faith in the right. system. Pew and Gallup are telling us people are losing faith in the system. But we're not, we're not agentless. We can do something about this. Right. So the great thing is from the Clintons to the Kochs, I've been talking to everybody. We're building a huge tent. We're, we have bipartisan okay. members of Congress. And who then I got to ask you the question, though. What's the offset? So first, you, you know, I was, uh, I, present, you. I was presenting at hey, a... What? Take it out of that IRS money, <laughs> Andrew, please. I so, mean, so it, we it, don't need 80,000 more agents for 10 billionaires, right? I have to say that... <laughs> When I think about the bills in front of the House and the Senate right now, $100 billion uh, of incremental uh, investment being talked about to fund two wars, yeah. right, in Ukraine and the Middle East. We've already spent $100 billion in Ukraine. This is not a question of do we have the money? This is a question of do we have the courage to have priorities? We have 15 countries that we send over $4 billion a year to annually in foreign aid. Right. How can we give $4 billion a year in foreign aid to all these countries and we can't give that same opportunity to every kid in America? So I just think we need to get our act together. We need to prioritize. I, for one, think that right. you know, a trillion dollar annual deficit is totally unsustainable. I agree. Um, but you know, we will get on the right path about that as well because the economic engine of America, you started talking about AI. Right. We're gonna have a massive super cycle um, you know, the, of right. economic growth, of productivity gains that comes right. out of AI. First, everybody should share in it, but at the same time, that's what's going to allow America to correct its What, what do you say the, an, the annual cost would be? 3.7 billion. And when I tell this to I people, can, they're like, oh my God, that's okay, nothing. You we can could do pay, that. We could pay for this with carried interest. If you were to eliminate <laughs> oh carried interest. God. Do it. Do you're, it, Andrew. You're, you're good for that? Do it, Andrew. I mean, you think you could get all of your. Uh, everybody how much does carried interest? It's, it, it doesn't actually. Uh, it, it doesn't. The point of carried interest is actually never raised so enormous amounts of money. Here's, here's part of it. said bipartisan. You give me my IRS stuff and I'll give you your. How about we take interest? a billion and a half out of carried interest yeah. and we and take bill- two billion out of uh, uh, the incremental the spending on the IRS? Yeah. This is the problem right. with all of these proposals. 
People get into this bunker mentality. It right. starts with one party. They want to take right. it out as something else. No, this is something issue, that can unite the parties right. in this country. The IRS issue is a different one because if you can't actually maintain the law, then you have a oh, bigger please. problem. <laughs> okay. You, you the, the, the only thing, it's the first time in history you spend a hundred. Who are you protecting? You, you, no, you, who are you protecting? I'm the not billionaires? protecting. That's it. who you're protecting. All the cheaters. How do you know they're cheating? That's where the cheating is happening. Uh, I, I, and it's going to pay for itself by collecting more. That'd be the first program in history that paid. I think what we can agree on is this. I think what we can agree on is it. We needed emergency spending during COVID. Yeah. Yep. Okay. If the Fed and Congress had not gone all in. Our economy would have stalled out, okay? The problem is we got addicted to it, and we still, right now, we're spending a trillion dollars more than we were in 2019. We talked about Meta. Meta's saying we got to get fit. Year of efficiency, flatter is faster, leaner is better. The federal government needs to get fit and needs to get the deficit down and get back to 2019 spending levels. And when we do that, we need to set national priorities, okay? And one of those national priorities needs to be bringing every child in America into the game of compounding and capitalism. If we don't, it threatens the very roots of capitalism. Look, the the practical problem with this is going to be small businesses will say, wait a second, you're investing in just big companies. It's going to make the big company stocks even more effective and efficient. I I believe in this. I've I've, got accounts for my kids where we do an S&P 500 so that they can see some of these going through it. But the practicality of getting this through and getting all sides is not just the discussion we're already having here. It's the government picking winners and losers. You know, as... Bill Clinton said to me, S&P 500 is good enough for America and every other index are good enough for this program. I'm not arguing against it. I'm just saying that that will be yet another hurdle. I'm ready for the fight. And, uh, you know, we've got great people leading this initiative, got great authors and co-sponsors coming together. It's just common sense. And, um, you know, I've started four companies, Andrew. Um, And the first thing you look for as an entrepreneur is product market fit. Because the fact of the matter is you may love the idea. But if you can't explain it in 30 seconds to somebody and they smile and they get on board, no, I it's think not going to work. Like the product. This has one of the highest right. product market fits of any idea I've had in 25 years. I think we can get it done. We look forward to following your progress, sir. Thank, Thank you, you for being here this morning. Thank you for Thank having you. me. I right. like the lessons that it teaches. Yep. I do. No, I think it could have a huge impact. Yeah. Huge impact. Well, I, you. I, you know, it is pretty astonishing to me that Trump's folks, are on board, and Clinton, Bill Clinton said, I want to be your personal advisor <laughs> to get this through. Like, show, where is there something else where this can happen, right? So, I th- and the, the key, I was with Kevin McCarthy in his office for an hour, you know, before uh, uh, this summer. Mm-hmm. And Kevin said, you know, I'm talking through it, and he said, this is a great idea. We got to make this happen. And now every Republican is against any new spending. <laughs> right. And I said, yeah, we need, he's like, Says to his chief of staff, find me $10 billion. And he looks at me and said, how much was it again? I said, Kevin, 3.7 million kids, 1,000 bucks is $3.7 billion. Right. He said, shit, we can pay for that 100 times over did with, the IRS, actually say, with the IRS. With the IRS. That's what he said. Yeah, he did. He'll be, I think he's on tomorrow. So. Uh, but, you know, thank you guys thank for giving you. me the opportunity to talk Appreciate about it. it. Great and, to have you this morning. And Dara really is the CEO counsel. Don't leave yet. We're still Cameras on. Cameras are still rolling. Did you think? Did you know? <laughs> We're you still didn't know ready to pull the pants down. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, that's happened just now outside. That don't, I told you don't watch it. Don't oh, look oh, outside. Wow. That would have been a Gordon Bethune moment. Yeah.
<laughs> if you really didn't think we were on, you could do a lot better than the S word. I mean, that's just... We're, we're still on it, TV. Let it fly. Okay, folks. Brad, thank you. Next on Squawk Pod. We are gathered today to hear testimony from a whistleblower. A second meta whistleblower, a former engineer who raised alarms about dangers to teens on Instagram and was ignored. Unwanted sexual advances and harassment, they happen all of the time. And they can't get help, though Instagram is right there and could help. They couldn't get help. We'll be right back. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. This hearing of the Judiciary Subcommittee on Technology, Privacy, and the Law will come to order. Thank you, everyone, for attending. A second meta whistleblower testified before a Senate subcommittee yesterday. You swear that the testimony that you will give to this committee is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you and for your interest in addressing one of the most urgent threats to our children today, to American children and children everywhere. Arturo Behar described his attempts to warn company executives about the harmful effects of social media platforms on teenage users. Behar was a former engineering director at Facebook and worked as a consultant at Instagram on the well-being team. In 2021, he shared his concerns about the unwanted harassment and sexual advances faced by Instagram's teenage users, including his own daughter, with Meta's CEO Mark Zuckerberg and other high-ranking executives. And nothing happened. Behar's contract at Meta expired, he moved on to other projects, and no guardrails or reporting functions for harassment were introduced at Instagram. So he's gone public in an upcoming book by Wall Street Journal reporter Jeff Horwitz and at a Senate subcommittee hearing where protecting kids online is a boldly bipartisan issue. Senator Richard Blumenthal is a Democrat. Big tech is the next big tobacco. I fought big tobacco in the 1990s. I sued big tobacco. I urged Congress to act. The same kind of addictive product that big tobacco peddled to kids now is advanced to them and promoted and pitched by big tech. And we need to break the straitjacket they've imposed through their armies of lobbies and lawyers. And here's Republican Senator Josh Hawley. They are deliberately misleading parents about what's on their platform. They are deliberately misleading parents about the safety of their children online. And I just want to echo something that Senator Blumenthal has said. It is time for Congress to take action. It was time years ago. Arturo Behar joined our TV broadcast this morning. Arturo, thank you for being here today. I, I found your testimony to be so compelling and, and so painful to, to kind of hear about and, and listen. Maybe you can describe to people what you saw at Instagram, what you saw with your own daughter, what was happening. She was 14 at the time? Yeah, 14 at the time. And what I saw and all of her friends saw is that 
like unwanted sexual advances and harassment, they happen all of the time. And they can't get help, though Instagram is right there and could help, they couldn't get help. And so when we talked about it, I went back in, and what I found was a culture that was focused on a very narrow definition of what was bad, and by doing so was not giving teens the tools they needed. I mean, these are teenagers, 14, 12, 13, kids who are well underage, who are being sent things like pictures of penises, uh, being harassed repeatedly by men talking about their breasts and other things. And even when they shot back, they, I think your daughter shot back. Somebody was talking about her breasts. She shot back, those are my underage breasts. They still said that didn't violate any of the issues. Well, this was an older guy who was sending her these notes. That is absolutely correct. And when you think about all of the ways in which you can harass somebody, I mean, we know sometimes when we look at it that it's bad, but they for sure know that it's bad. There's no such thing as perceiving harassment. You experience it. She was going through it. She asked for help. She didn't get any help. And you were somebody who worked there and who was in charge of a lot of issues. And when you brought these concerns to the management there, what happened? Well, it didn't do anything. Like, there's a very simple question here, which is, like, what should be the right percentage of teenagers to receive unwanted sexual advances, mm -hmm. right? Right. I mean, it's a rhetorical question, as close to zero as you can reasonably make it. And if you have a product where a kid can't even say, help me, can, can you give me some help with what I'm dealing with here? It makes me uncomfortable. But for an ad, you can't say, oh, that, that's too sexualized, right? I don't know. They, they have a responsibility to do this. And I did my best to build up data, which is incredible, the data that I gave them, and asked them, told them, here's what you can do and then they chose not to do anything about it. The data showed what? How many percentage of teenagers are getting harassed online every week? One in eight in the last seven days experienced an unwanted sexual advance, right? 11%. And a lot of times this is not coming from other teenagers, it's coming from grown people. Actually, that, that is something that we all should understand because what I found with um, my daughter is that many times it would come from other teenagers. Mm -hmm. And, and that's actually one of the key things because their lack of tools in dealing with this means that this behavior is normalized. And so a teen sends a message, and if you have a button that says, hey, help me, you know who sent the message now, the content doesn't matter, and then how many times do you send that message before you go, hey, Pat, this is not the place for that. A button and a counter, a respectful conversation. That, that's what you suggested, that there yeah. be a, a, a kind of timeout or a help button yeah. where somebody would get involved and they said no because why? Or they just ignored you? You would have to ask them why they said no because I cannot think of a reason But why can you just wouldn't. speak to what actually happens? So you go to them yeah. and what actually happens? They say what to you? They say we're not talking to you? No. The lawyers are going to be involved? What's, what, what? So, so what happened was um, Cheryl wrote back and was like, I'm so sorry your daughter is experiencing misogyny. I know what it means to be a woman that gets in, right. told to get back to the kitchen. No follow-up meeting. I spoke to Adam Mosseri about this, and he's like, yeah, I get it, and you know what? I understand about the button, and what we should do is that button should be rewarding for the kid. The kid should feel protected right. after using that button. So Adam's telling you that he wants to do this? Yeah. Okay, and then what? And then I left, and then it's been two years, and that button still doesn't exist. But have you gotten, did you ever get in touch with him again? No, I offered. 
I'm here to help with this, and then what you got in touch with me again. And by the way, we should point out that you are not somebody who is seeking monetary compensation. You have not joined any lawsuits against this. You're just trying to get attention to get changes made. Yeah, I think you, every parent knows this, and that they knew, right, that the things they could have done, and they chose not to do them. We all intuitively know how bad it is. The numbers just show how bad it is, and I don't know if I, if I was an advertiser, an investor, somebody, you have to be asking some real hard questions about like, what are these people up to when it comes to the harm that 13 year old who's not ready, like mentally, and we knew this like 10 years ago when we worked on it, to deal with what's happening. Okay, the pushback will be from the industry. Well, you should monitor your own teenagers. Keep your kids off of it. What do you say to that? Parents know how to be parents, right? And if you're a parent and you are close to your teen, Go now and ask them, if you receive one of these messages, show me what you would do, right? You have to fill a report form. And we know that 13-year-olds don't like doing that because the word report, they worry about getting in trouble and getting other people in trouble. You have to use different language. We did this 10 years ago, and they stopped doing it. We spoke with Tim Wu recently about how um, Congress has never done anything, even though you would think both sides of the aisle could find some agreement on an issue like this that he's seen even modest attempts to try and get the industry under any control, even when it comes to protecting children, get sidetracked by special interests who can't agree on these things. What, what's your hope with talking to them yesterday? Yesterday was extraordinary. They, everybody was one-upping each other, both sides of the aisle saying, we have to change, this has to change, it has to be better. I think there's a real opportunity right now, and if you're a parent, of a teenager or you care about this, I cannot encourage you enough to reach out to your um, congressperson, anybody that you can talk to, to make this better because I, after my experience and what has happened afterwards, I don't think we can trust Instagram or those services with our teens if they're not willing to give them the tools that help them when they need it. Well, you, your daughter's 19 now? She is. How's she doing? She's very excited that this is happening. She's very proud. Um, we, we were talking last night. And she, we talked about like, yeah, you know, you have to build these things. She would love to have them. She, in her um, university, the women's group, they talked about these issues. And everybody had experienced these things. Everybody had the same issues in trying to deal with them. And she's very excited that something might change. Well, I hope um, from your lips that uh, you know, something happens on this front. Um, I think it's a, something intuitively parents do realize. Um, and if the industry won't self-regulate, and if you can't make change from inside, it's got to come from outside. Arturo, I want to thank you for, for joining us today and being so outspoken about what you have seen. And by the way, coming up with a potential solution for some of these things, too. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Arturo Bejar. And that's the pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes, analysis, interviews from our TV show right into your ears, please follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. 
the, I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. Kings Island is now open weekends. 